What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, great, great show. Two greats. Excellent show lined up today. Drew Sanders, the former Arkansas star, he is going to join us in a little bit. And then we're talking about run-ins with the law and figuring out. We're going there in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to end with Loud of the Week, of course. But first, how to do spring game exhibitions. Hugh Freeze, among others, spoken loud and clear. They want to have spring games against other programs. Not a new concept, but it would need a new execution at the collegiate level to be able to get this done. I am 100% for this idea, but my bias is that I'm the consumer without a dog in the fight who would rather watch Auburn UAB compared to Auburn versus Auburn, where you're not allowed to breathe mm-hmm. on the quarterback. The scoring's weird and you're just left wanting more. Mm-hmm. No, nobody, correct me if I'm wrong here. Nobody has ever left a spring game thinking, ah, man, I got my fix and I'm good for another four and a half months. Oh, man. Well, I will say there has been some spring game hopium. I will say there has been some of this quarterback's the guy. There has been. I think that if you're a poverty fan base, spring game is the best thing in the world because you don't you haven't comprehended how dog your team is yet. So you're like, this guy's throwing 300 yards in the spring game. It's like, actually, our DBs are trashed. (laughs) I know. And I'm always I'm always fascinated. Like, what what are you rooting for? Are you just rooting for offense? Like you're rooting for good play. It's just a little bit awkward before I dig into the way that you can do this. And why I think there's that much more of a push for this right now. Will, as someone who does have a dog in the fight, what's your knee-jerk reaction to the concept of like an LSU-Louisiana Tech spring game? Oh, I mean, I love that. That's like, you know, football crack. That'll just kind of get you through the offseason. I mean, one of the most, the best moments of football content came from one of these, which is, uh, I fear God, homie. I fear God, homie. That was a cross-team scrimmage between the Texans and the Redskins at the time with DeAndre Hopkins and uh, D'Angelo Hall. And you know what I'm talking about? That was, gosh, what was Was that like 10 years ago? That was a long time ago now. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. No, it was, yeah. That, but that's a good example that happens in the NFL, and they try to get cameras out of there because they know guys will get burnt or guys will whatever. But you, you love to see that, especially in college where it's like, it's only about competition. There's no financial reward. There's no scholar. It doesn't matter, but it's just about beating that guy. And you see how competitive these guys are. Like that clip is such a great example. I fear God, homie. There was nothing in that clip that had, didn't matter how that scrimmage went. Nothing about that mattered, but they were so into it. And like, I would love to see that on the collegiate level. It would be different though, because of the way that it would be like, it would be, you know, actually in stadiums probably. So it wouldn't be like a hush hush thing. It would be mm-hmm. something that we would probably talk about and definitely over dissect. So there are similarities in the NFL model. And I was going to kind of talk about some of that stuff about like what it would just look like to the consumer at home and for the fan and the stands of, of how different this experience would be as opposed to truly feeling like you're watching a scrimmage. Cause in some of these cases, man, like, there are some brutal, brutal spring game watches that are, in my opinion, unwatchable. And you're just mm-hmm. like, what, what is the what is the point? Why are you even calling this a spring game? It's not a spring game. You're just doing situational things. And sometimes weather can get in the way of it. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it a little bit awkward. Um, but yeah, this is something that feels like has a little bit of momentum. Take that for what it is. Let's start with the why, because it's going to speak to how this can be executed in a way that solves the problem that some coaches are dealing with. And I know there's a financial element of this that's obvious, but when Hugh Freeze is up there banging the drum for this to have spring games played against other teams, he cares 0% about making Auburn money for some early April spring game. That is not his focus at all. 
Hugh Freeze is in a spot that a lot of coaches are in from an evaluation standpoint. He is trying to figure out which guys from the previous regime can play and which guys cannot. When you walk into a, a situation when where like you're set, you're looking at this team going, oh, they were six and seven a couple years ago. They were five and seven last year. The talent was questioned. It is a perfectly fair thing for a year one coach to be extremely critical and to feel like, I don't know who's good, who's not good. You can even get situations where you're a new coach and you think you have a star back, like a Kayshawn Booty, but then you either don't get to see them in camp because of maybe an injury, or it's just a little bit awkward as a result of that. Like Brian Kelly saying that he is re-engaged with the team. I mean, ugh, that's kind of a unique situation, but th that speaks to how awkward this can be for new coaches sometimes. Mm -hmm. Think about this for Hugh Freeze specifically. You've got Robbie Ashford. Freeze has talked about how difficult it is to judge the 2022 sample size of him because obviously he didn't enter the year as a starter. It was his first spring not playing baseball. Auburn's receivers weren't particularly good. And when Cadillac took over, he realized that the best version of this offense was basically to stop throwing and become a service academy, which Cadillac was right. He played yeah. it the, the way you should have. But the biggest question with Ashford is how he works through his progressions and delivers on time, move the chains, throws. He is the opposite of somebody we talk about a lot on this podcast, TJ Finley, who holds on to the football too long and he spends too much time in the pocket. But where both need to be evaluated is their pocket presence. And ideally, you'd like for that to be in a live situation running the freeze Philip Montgomery offense, whatever that's going to be. I've always said that spring games are brutal for mobile quarterbacks because every time they scramble, it's like, okay, they're two-hand touch. And what's mm -hmm. really an impressive run is kind of difficult for us to judge. It feels like in basketball, you know, as you watch a lot of NBA, when a guy takes a shot after the whistle, I used to wonder if someone tracked that because I feel like some guys would just never miss those shots. Yep. It's like, oh my God, he just... He just made that 30 footer look really easy, but you're like, okay, cool. That's because he didn't have anybody that was no pressure. Yeah. No pressure, no hand in his face or anything like that. You cannot, you cannot simulate a true pass rush when a quarterback isn't live. I'm sorry. You, you can line everybody up and do all of those things. But if a quarterback doesn't have that fear that he could be popped in the ribs, if he doesn't sense blindside pressure, you're getting a partial evaluation, not a full one. So and that much. right there is so great for Auburn, right? Because that's the X factor between Finley and Ashford, Heisman yes. Hopeful, Robbie Ashford, who basically, if you take out that pass rush out of it, Finley might be a better quarterback. But with it, it's like, to me, not even close because when the pressure gets in Ashford's face, that's when he takes off and makes a play. But in a spring game, Finley collapsing doesn't matter because yes. it's like, oh, well, oh, they would have sacked you anyway. But Robbie, like, throwing a dude to the ground as they start to touch him would have just been down at like a 15-yard loss. It's like, this kid doesn't know what he's doing out there. Watch these spring games, and you will see guys, and Finley's one of them, you will see guys who will step into throws with an unabated rusher barreling down on them. It, whereas in a real game, so many of those throws that they just make in spring games look like they're really confident and wow, mm -hmm. like look at the poise. They will look different because they don't have to brace themselves for getting hit. And that is something that, look, if you're trying to evaluate who you have at quarterback, you need to understand what you have in that. Even though Ashford was impressive in the spring game last year, remember the conversation with him was, oh, that's 
that's really intriguing. He's got some tools to work with. It wasn't really deciding if he was going to be the starting quarterback. At least it didn't feel like that. We were talking about it a little bit more after that, but it was still more like he was this wild card. With mm-hmm. Freeze this year, not only is Ashford trying to fend off Finley and the rest of that quarterback room, he's trying to show his head coach that he doesn't need to dip into the transfer portal. Transfer portal. Speaking of that, that is at the root of this spring game exhibition momentum. Because of how re- relaxed these rules have become, you can truly make a post-spring decision of, hey, we need to get better at defensive tackle. Let's address it in the portal. Let's go get somebody who's an undergrad. We don't have to hope that some grad transfer comes through post-spring and that's going to solve our issues. The evaluation is different in that regard. Three years ago, you couldn't do that. And now there's actually more urgency than ever because really quietly, the spring portal window, it's now April 15th through the 29th. It's no longer May 1st through the 15th. So there's more urgency than ever. I don't know why the NCAA signed off on that. That to me is bonkers. And Nicole Auerbach was was tweeting about this of like, not enough people are talking about this. We should be talking about that because teams now have spring games while the transfer portal window is opening up. And usually you don't have your spring game the last week of April because teams like to be able to watch the draft, do all that stuff as well. But still that sense of urgency with that window moved up is now a little bit tighter, right? Like you're looking at this right now. I don't know why they signed off on that. I don't I'm know what the, the schedule is. of everyone's spring game, dude. There's like 30 spring games on April 15th. Yeah. So, I mean, I <laughs> so guess you could functionally go to your spring game, have a trash performance by your quarterback, get on the horn, get a new quarterback in the building like the next day. Yeah. I mean, in theory, in theory, in theory that's... which would be a, a D move, but you could like these dudes are literally playing for their that's chaos. <laughs> and remember that it, it is just entering the portal, right? It's not that you have to have your new team picked out within right. that window, but you have to make some really quick decisions all of a sudden. And like, if you're having a spring game on, you know, was it like the, what weekend would that be? I guess. So we're talking here. Uh, the eighth is when Auburn spring game is going to be. And then two weeks after that. So like if your spring game is the 22nd, for example, mm-hmm. man, you don't have a lot of time. Like you got to kind of figure that stuff out. And sometimes you need the spring game to kind of see what the depth chart actually looks like. And so from a player standpoint, you're condensing that. And from coaches, they obviously have to react to what their players are doing as well. And there's a little bit of like a, you know, a cause and effect that goes into this. You want to know what you have in the spring, because if you make the determination that your roster needs help in a specific area, You have the portal as an asset to be able to dip into. What better way to see what you actually have by then getting to play in an actual game and not just a glorified scrimmage? So let's talk about that. Real quick. So, yeah, this is like, you know me, man. Like, I love the NIL stuff. I think the portal has been really helpful. Obviously, my teammate Joe Burrow. So, like, what am I going to say? But, like, I hate how transactional college football is becoming. And I'm looking at this right now, and it's just like, I'm imagining what the dynamics of this are going to be. You know, you talk about, Brian Kelly and kind of this situationship with Kayshawn Booty where it's like, do we like each other? Are we friends? What are we doing? And like to thrust the, that relationship into this would have been good television, you know, but it's it's kind of unfair to those guys who haven't really like stamped everything down, haven't had time. Um, but then on the other end, it's like, you know, not only do you have the quarterback going into this as like an LLC, right? Because it used to be with spring games. And I'm, I'm in favor of the scrimmage. I think that's good. So let me just say that. But it used to be you could kind of sell that hopium as a coach if you were controlling both rosters and be like, we got three quarterbacks. We'll get one in for half of, you know, this game on the B team and we'll kind of make him feel like he's involved. 
but you kind of have to make that depth chart decision with only one side of the ball going. So it's like, okay, you do that. So you got to keep your quarterbacks happy, right? Because the transfer window is open. And at the same time, your quarterbacks feel this pressure that if they're not, you know, to your point about Ashford, it's like, yeah, if they feel like they don't have, like, I'm sure Freeze thinks he has one quarterback, but it's more, I guess, like having two. You know what I'm saying? Like, one of those guys I think will be a dud. We're just really not sure which one, or he's not either. But it's like, yeah, if you're if, if you're those guys and you come out and just have a dud, you look like you don't get the offense, you look lost, you look scared. It's like, they could have another dude in by the next week, and you, that would be the end of your story. You, you could just be, the, that could, it's like, what happened to Burrow at Ohio State? I'm not going to do that whole thing, but with, like, the injury and everything, it's like, well, now you've just been passed in the depth chart, and there's just nothing you can do to work your way back. And that could happen over the course of a week where you could feel good. You could feel like you're in control of the offense. You have a bad spring game. Suddenly there's another dude in there and suddenly you're out of there. And it's like, dude, I just like had a bad week. I had uh, you know some classes I had to worry about. I had some going on in my personal life. And now everything's radically different. You feel me? And alternatively, you could have a good spring game performance. A great week. Yeah. And think that everything is going well. And then find out afterwards that you're the third string quarterback. And suddenly you're Malik Willis going to Liberty. And, mm-hmm. you know, life life changes in a hurry. <laughs> it is things happen now, as you said, quicker and maybe more reactionary than ever. Mm-hmm. And it would be really hard if, if we did eventually get scrimmages against other teams in the spring it would be really hard not to overreact to those evaluations as well, but it would still give you a better evaluation. It still would. And that's what they're, I think, trying to simulate. So two things, the pushback, it, it comes down to these two things and these two things only it's injuries and it's embarrassment. That's huh. it. That that's what this is. A- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, embarrassment. <laughs> that'll be the title of my biopic injuries and embarrassments. <laughs> How a freshman athlete goes from very injured very quickly and suddenly can't play sports anymore and just has to write about. I played sports through my senior year of high school, but you get what I'm saying. Um, Those two things, injuries and embarrassment, that is why this has not happened yet. In the NFL, nobody cares about losing a preseason game. There's an understanding that it's never the starters playing the majority of these games anyways. They're probably, maybe they're not even playing a quarter. Maybe they're not playing at all. And it's really more about evaluating your depth guys with NFL preseason. It's also different because it's a sport where even the best teams are probably losing four to five games in a given year. And you also have the regular season right around the corner. Call me crazy, but a college team like Alabama losing a spring game and then getting four and a half months without a single game to play would be dissected a little bit differently. It just would. Shoot, even like a closer than expected win would have people overreacting left and right because that's what we do in college football. You can close your eyes and picture the fine bomb calls overreacting to Alabama playing a little bit too close against Troy. That mm-hmm. would be the case, all right? That's that's the way that we are wired in this sport. You could easily get scenarios where a preseason top 10 team is playing a bunch of early enrollees who have maybe been in a college strength program for three months, and mm-hmm. they look like boys next to some group of five team that has men with three years of experience in a strength program, and it shows. So how can we control the embarrassment factor? I've always I said had, that. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. My bad. Um, wait, I was about to say, I had two thoughts about this, where they both had to do with Dick Saban as soon as you started talking about scrimmages. Number one is I could see him going in the meeting room like the Monday for the spring game and be like, well, I guess we don't have anyone who can catch on this team. So I'll just be looking in the portal. How about that? Because, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of a saving move. Is like, yeah, we got these receivers. Like, they're dropping balls in the spring game. Like, we have a window. We need to act now. Like, you guys had a chance. And, like, putting that pressure on these guys that way. The second is I could see him reverse engineering it and just, like, not throwing the spring game, 
but like kind of being like, oh, you guys want to play? You guys want to play soft today? Okay, yeah. We'll just beat Troy by five points and have the media all down your back. It's like I could see Saban kind of do it either way with that and try to use it as like a little bit of the 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 yummy rat poison. What, what would that? Yeah. Be? No, that's um, yeah, that's the yummy rat poison. That's mm-hmm. the yummy rat poison when there is that doubt, and mm-hmm. that's this t- the type of stuff as we talked about last podcast. Nolan Smith. Sometimes you got to create your own narrative. Right. It's just the way that things go. Um, that is another wrinkle to this that could actually work in some of these teams favor like instead of oh the the offseason good vibes team like a florida state offseason good vibes team all of a sudden plays a close spring game against fau and mm-hmm. suddenly that conversation you pump the brakes a little bit and we're like hey you know what maybe we're a little bit too high on jordan travis here and we should be talking about them a little bit less but it could work in a variety of ways because it's different when you're playing against other teams. You don't look bad when it's just against your own team because chances are somebody's going to look good. That's mm-hmm. It's either, oh, the offense is taken off and the defense needs to catch up, or wow, look at this defense, it's lights out, and the offense really needs to work. It's totally different when you're actually playing against another team and you have both of your units, I guess all three units, it's three units in, in, in football, going up against somebody else and kind of testing that. So that is that is interesting though because it would that be Tennessee nice spring game opponent, buddy. Watch out, <laughs> they're getting eighty up Tennessee Tech. <laughs> Bro, yeah. I was just I was just in class. And all I got to do is run it down the field. I'll be. I don't know what's going on. Um, so I've always said like we need to 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 control the embarrassment factor. Mm-hmm. We have to apply some sort of NFL logic, but in a nuanced way. That's because it's not the same thing as the NFL. But there's a way that we can do this. Every Power Five team. In these spring exhibitions against other teams, they have to bench three players on each side of the ball. You get to pick your three. If you're the head coach, you get to pick your three. On top of that, anyone who plays in the first quarter has to sit the final five minutes of the game. That's for both the Power Five and the non-Power Five teams. By the way, we're not talking about Power Five versus Power Five with these spring exhibition games. It's probably going to be Power Five versus Group of Five or Power Five versus versus like an an FCS team or something like that. That way, teams get a built-in excuse if they lose. You take some of the sting out of it. And while I'm not a big excuse guy, it would definitely take some of the sting out of it if you could have a coach say afterwards, yeah, like we were without our six best players. Of course, we didn't look like a finished product. I like the benching of three players on each side of the ball thing because in some cases, a coach will decide, no way do I want my quarterback out there. For somebody like Freeze, he'd be like, yes, I absolutely want to see Robbie Ashford out there. That's the other part of this. No special rules for quarterbacks. No red jerseys, no two-hand touch. If your coach doesn't want any part of that first quarterback, make him one of the three offensive players that doesn't play in the spring game. Think about how valuable that would be for somebody like Brock Vandegrift, right? We have only seen Brock Vandegrift in spring games when he isn't live or in garbage time when George is up a billion points and they're just handing the ball off. There's only so much you can do with your third string quarterback, which is what Brock Vandegrift has been his first two years at Georgia. Obviously, he's vying for the QB1 spot with Carson Beck with Gunnar Stockton this year. That would just be such a meaningful way to evaluate him. That's the other part of this, the injuries. So if you're worried about like, oh, what if you get Brock Vandegrift hurt or something like that? It is a risk. And there would inevitably be starters who go down with significant injuries in this game. I'm fully aware of that. That would suck. Preseason injuries are the worst. And given the stakes, 
I'd imagine this is where you would see a ton of pushback. If a coach hasn't come out and said, yes, I'm in support of this, it's probably because they're thinking about that injury possibility. Even though the NFL has this preseason doesn't matter thing, it can sure as hell matter for a head coach if one of his stars go down. And if you don't believe that, go back to 2003 when Michael Vick suffered that season-ending injury in a preseason game, and then Dan Reeves got fired a few months later. This stuff can come back to bite you. Ideally, you've got some protection against injury with the three spring game redshirt guys on both sides of the ball. That's essentially what it would be. You're redshirting these guys. You're like, Get them, get them a headset on the sideline. That's fine. You've also got a little bit of protection with limited reps, knowing that you can make sure your starters are out of the game in the final five minutes when some of these group of five or FCS guys are out here trying to make a name for themselves. You've also got, as I said earlier, the portal. If your left guard suffers a season-ending knee injury in a spring exhibition game, that would suck. But you do now have the luxury of going into the portal and potentially finding a replacement there if you don't have one in-house. Maybe a little tampering. You call up that left guard from Marshall. I don't mean to throw our friend Charles Huff under the bus, but I'm just saying tampering happens. We're naive if we don't think that that exists in the world. That could easily be the case for some of these programs if they suffer a key injury in a spring exhibition game. There's another idea. 10-minute quarters, running clock is instead of – or not, well, I mean, some of them do like a running clock now, so I shouldn't say that they don't. But 10-minute quarters with a running clock, except on changes of possession, incompletions, and the final two minutes of each half. Because you need you don't want these games going by too quickly where, oh man, like, you know, you get off to a bad start and suddenly, just like that, you don't have enough time to be able to make that up. Um, one timeout per team, per half. None of this three timeout stuff. Let the kids play. Let them figure it out. That, that, that mm-hmm. is the ideal way to do it. And even the red shirt thing of the power five teams benching three players on each side of the ball, maybe you could just apply that to everybody. Maybe, I mean, that way it's kind of known, hey, neither team is kind of at their best. And like group of five teams, FCS teams, they got plenty to lose too. You mm-hmm. know, like they, they don't want to have their, their stud quarterback go down. You know, they don't, they don't want to be dealing with that and they don't need to necessarily evaluate them. And if they're playing them in a game like this, they're probably doing so because they're like, Hey, we make some headway here. We can help out our program. And there's incentive for them, obviously to look good on that stage as well. And to be able to try and figure out what they have, because they have roster needs and they have things that they want to evaluate as well. I understand that coaches want as much control as possible. So the power five team, they can host all these games. You don't have to go neutral site. You can, but I think you could still have these games on campuses with all due respect to these group of five teams hosting spring games. I bet even getting like a 20% cut of ticket sales would still trump what they would pull in hosting a scrimmage, especially when you consider they don't have like these group of five teams, they don't have to deal with the overhead necessarily of like, Oh, we got to have concessions. we got to have like all that stuff. So why hasn't this happened yet? As far as I know, there's nothing in the NCAA rulebook that is officially preventing this. Or if there is, I can't imagine that it would hold up if teams really wanted to put the the pieces in place to make this happen. But I don't think anybody wants to be first. Right. I don't think anybody wants to end up like Phyllis, who decided to be the first one to take Michael up on his offer to head down to Cafe Disco. She threw out her back. (laughs) She needed Dwight's magic hands to heal her, lost a great blouse in the process. But in the end, everyone opened up to Cafe Disco and had a great time. Maybe that's what's about to happen for spring exhibition games. Thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, I think I think you're definitely like uh, I'm so for this. I think that at the end of the day, we might as well just go for it and see more competition. Like they always, the, the memes we always talk about, about like ready to hit somebody in a different jersey or whatever. Like I, yeah, I, I think that I'm just fascinated to see all the drama that would come from this potentially. I mean, well, let me ask you this. What do you think the likelihood of it is? Do you think this is just talking season or do you think this some action could happen here? I think that this is. Now, when you say the likelihood of this happening, do you mean ever or do you mean in the next two years? Yeah, next couple of years. I don't think it's that likely in the next two years. Okay. But here's here's what I wonder about. Here's what I wonder about. The 12-team playoff era, there is a greater margin for error for coaches. And maybe there won't be this freaking out about like every single development could be the difference in you winning a national title. Like 14 playoff model. You could win one game and get left out of the playoff. You win two games and yeah, we haven't had a two team team in the playoff yet. So everything feels that much more significant. And so I think maybe getting to that place could help. And I think maybe coaches being like, okay, it's not the end of the world. If we lose this one specific game, it's kind of about getting right. And because of the portal and the way that it exists in its current system and having that window, I think there could be a little bit more of like, okay, we could make this work. We could find a way to exist. If I'm betting on this happening, it wouldn't be until like probably four or five years to where it's maybe we're going to get a few teams that, that try this out in the middle part of the middle part of the decade. But until you kind of see a few years of the, the 12 team playoff, that's when you could see maybe teams tweaking their preseason approach, knowing that they have a little bit more margin for error. Um, this is slightly off topic, but you did just say it like, I mean, are we sure that there will be a different level of expectation with the 12 team playoff? Because I think fans and boosters are still equally as crazy. I mean, like, let's say that you're Texas right now. And let's say you have a scrimmage and the quarterbacks just look bad. Like, let's say they just come out and yeah, you got Arch and you got Quinn, but neat, like you kind of pick Quinn, but he's like struggling. You see Arch and he's struggling. And those Texas boosters are just sitting there for months. Like, what are we going to do with this guy? I, you think that's, that, that's not a good example because they're they're like we've invested way too much into both of these dudes and it's a great example because they're that crazy, Connor. That's exactly the point I'm talking about. They're that crazy. Like they that's that's kind of where I'm getting at is like I wonder how long it will take for the pro sports model to you know affect these boosters who are ultimately the decision makers who are old and set in their ways and hate change. And I mean, it might be five or six years of every booster and big program is being like, well, y'all are in the 12 team playoff. That doesn't affect me. I expect two losses a year. That guy's out of here. Um, I don't know. That's just a, another thought. Yeah, it could. Our expectations will change. Mm-hmm. The, our, our expectations and how we view losses are going to change. I, I, I like, I want to get out ahead of that so right. much. Well, we've been talking about that, but we're rational people or as rational as we can be. Some of these people aren't. Most of these people are. <laughs> it will take a few years. It's mm-hmm. it's going to take a few years for expectations from the top down. Athletic directors, boosters, fans, players, all of those things will have to change. They, they just need to. You're playing more Power 5 teams. It mm-hmm. takes more wins to win a national championship. We're probably not going to see so many 16-0 and or even 17-0 and type teams. I guess... Getting to 17 and 0 would be really, really difficult because usually if you're getting to that place, you'll have earned a buy. So you'll only need to play 16 games. So maybe that's not a good example. But you hear what I'm saying? 
our adjusted expectations could help this. It could help expedite this process to mm -hmm. think, okay, this isn't the end of the world. This isn't the end of the world. That will take time. Everything in college football takes time. If it happened in the SEC for this year, I mapped out what it could look like. I got one for each team. So this is just a hypothetical and how you could approach this because, you know, everybody's kind of thought about it. All right, who would we be going up against? I got Alabama, Troy, Arkansas, Central Arkansas, Auburn, UAB. That's one that's been floated out there. Trent Dilfer mm -hmm. also talking about this as well. If you read the story on AL.com, Florida against FIU, Georgia against Georgia Southern, no longer doing the triple option thing, you know, Clay mm -hmm. Helton over there. So you know, just saying. Good for business. Um, Yes, good for business. Uh, Kentucky against Eastern Kentucky. You'd probably want to avoid Austin Reed at Western Kentucky. You don't want going. You don't want to be going up against that in a preseason spring game. LSU against Louisiana Tech. You don't want to be going up against Tulane. You don't want to have Facts. to avoid, that. Uh, avoid Michael Pratt at all costs. Uh, Mizzou, Missouri State. No more Bobby Petrino, so don't have mm -hmm. to worry about that one. Uh, Mississippi State against Jackson State. No more Dion. Don't have to worry about him there. Ole Miss against Alcorn State. No more Steve McNair, RIP. Um, South Carolina, Furman. Football, not basketball, so don't have to worry about Furman. Tennessee against Tennessee State. Eddie George, you know, legend. Mm -hmm. uh, Texas A&M against Rice. I feel like they play pretty often, so that maybe that's not a good one. And Vandy against UT Martin. You could keep this in state, and you could even wait until January to schedule it. And that's because I, I, I think athletic directors would push back on being like, okay, well, what if I schedule a five-year thing with LS, you know, LSU and Tulane, and then all of a sudden we're playing a team that just won a New Year's Six Bowl? Like, schedule it in January. If it's mm -hmm. in-state, and that's the 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 understanding, you've only got like two or three Power Five schools in a particular state. So it's not like it, this free-for-all that we have right now with non-conference scheduling. So your your parameters are a little bit more limited. It's not like you got to race to the phone to be able to, oh man, we got to make sure that we get Jackson State instead of this school or something like that. You've got some options. And if it's you're playing against a group of five team or an FCS team, you should be able to kind of figure out what that looks like. I think this could work. I think change takes a long time. So I'm not saying that this is imminent or anything like that, but how does something change? You have the conversation. You get this stuff on record. Hugh Freeze is hardly the first person, hardly the last person to talk about this. But him kind of floating this out into the universe and continuing to bang the drum for it and having others like Shane Beamer kind of step up and say, yeah, like this would be, this would be a great idea. Maybe it's going to get to the place where nobody wants to be the coach to publicly oppose this because then it looks like they're running from competition. So maybe we just guilt trip all these coaches into doing something like this. But uh, look, I'll take it. I'll t I would take that all day. And I'm not trying to poo-poo all spring games because there are definitely some takeaways. I'll be writing about those on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Shameless plug. But this would be better. <laughs> this would be better. And we just got to figure out the right way to do it. I'm available for consulting. Just let me know. We can make this happen. I'm personally excited about the uh, Kim Mulkey Bowl between LSU and La Tech. Get Ooh, her in the uh, good point. half and half bedazzled jersey. Um, that would be cool. She sure. played a lot of tech, like we talked about. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love this. And like, I mean, Coach O was big on talking about this, about keeping money in the state. And this might not be worth the tangent, but I remember when I lived in Alabama, there was a little bit of like uh, resentment from the UAB folks saying that Alabama like to kind of keep them under the thumb and like maybe like, you know, take funding away from them to stop some of those 
three star guys that would be used as depth for going Alabama from going UAB instead of being on Alabama. I'm not sure if that's the thing. Alabama actually doesn't play a ton of guys in state. If you really like to look at it, but that might be a UAB conspiracy. I don't know. Like some of the smaller fan bases are sure about things that are just not reality. Um, but yeah, I, I would love that. And that's like, you know, the cool thing about this, as you just said, is we're starting to get away from that regional aspect of college football, but something like this would really keep it in a state. It would be like a fun little like cookout vibe. That's like, you know, this is for the state of Missouri. This is for the state of Kentucky. We can go in here and, you know, like you said, maybe it's not Louisville, you know, obviously, but it can be Eastern Kentucky. It can be like, you know, it's, Oh, well I'm a Kentucky fan, but I went to EKU. Let's just like, you know, come back and figure this out. So yeah, I, I, I love that vibe. I think that could be really, really cool and relaxed. And I mean, maybe not for the coaches, but for me as a fan, I'd love it. Yeah, there's and there'd be a lot of pressure. Like coaches would feel that pressure. And mm-hmm. they, you don't want to necessarily blow that. But at the end of the day, it's like you're not getting fired for springing performance. Now, as we talked about with the Dan Reeves thing, like obviously there are there are significant ramifications for this. Um, the 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 way that this could play out for some of these like group of five or FCS, you know, some of these guys in getting this kind of spotlight would be FCS guy goes nuts, receiver just torches power five secondary for 200 yards power five team calls just gets a bag yep <laughs> just like, gets a bag. hey what do you say we, we got an opening in the slot what, what do you want to come make some money here we'll set up the nil we'll make this happen like that process could also be be something that you know could motivate you get an up close look at some of these guys you get to evaluate not just your own guys but somebody else's team and then just kind of pick them apart like there are lots of ways and this could that this could benefit all parties involved. It's just figuring out the right way to, to to deal with some of that pushback. The injuries, the embarrassment. Those are the two biggest things that would be working against this. But man, I hope we can get this in the decade. That'd be great. That'd be I'm, so much better. I'm dying laughing at that suggestion because it's so true. And it's like, uh, you know, I guess the FCS coaches have to almost like manage their own guys. You're like, oh, you had... 75 yards and like two tutties in the first quarter. We got to sit you for the rest of this game. We don't want to know how good you are. It's like, there's like a locker room of every STF team just has. <laughs> this is my shot, man. I can get out of this play. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Will, Will went mute for like two seconds there, but just know that he was talking about, he was talking about these guys being able to, to flex as much as possible, which look, I'd, I'd be all for it. And maybe that's part of the strategy. And if we do the red shirt thing, you know, we do the red shirt thing with, mm-hmm. with trying to figure out like, all right, which guys are, which guys are capable of playing, which guys are capable of stepping into this role, like this role. If you're, if you're that group of five coach, that FCS coach, you want to keep that guy under wraps. You don't yep. want, you don't want LSU seeing him and then having Brian Kelly walk over to the other sideline and say, son, we could have a place for you here. Uh, you would be awesome in our offense. What do you say we sign on the dotted line and make this work? There'd be a lot of dynamics at play, but it would be fun. And I think it would definitely help with evaluation. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we kick it to Drew Sanders, a quick word from our friends at Underdog Sports Betting. As you know, it is not legal in all these states in the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. You know the drill. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play in these contests. You can pick higher or lower for different players, really similar to sports betting player props, and you can put real money on on the line. Yes, you can do this in all of those states in which sports betting is not legal. 
underdog they got you covered it is awesome it's super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room and you can win some real money go to saturdaydownsouth.com underdog and take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars that's a hundred dollars absolutely free saturdaydownsouth.com underdog all right here is true sanders now excited to be joined by a very special guest it is former arkansas all-american and future early round nfl draft pick drew sanders Drew is here on behalf of Six Star Pro Nutrition. Uh, proceeds from every 100% whey protein plus sold at Walmart will go towards Feeding America and the fight against hunger through uh, Fight Hunger Spark Change, that that campaign. Uh, Drew, before we dig into everything, just tell us why you wanted to, to get involved in this cause. Yeah, I know it was, it was a great opportunity to come up. I mean, uh, you know, really Arkansas, Walmart go hand in hand there. So, I mean, uh, providing me an opportunity, you know, really help my community and uh, communities around me, you know, with the, the starving uh, families. Uh, I, I've got a little protein shake hack for you. And maybe you've already yeah. thought of this and you're going to be like, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> a frozen glass is the key. Put a couple of glasses in the freezer, pour the protein shake right in, and it's going to stay like nice and cold. I, uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever done that, but like it's it's a nice little trick. You get like five, maybe like 10 minutes extra of the, of that protein shake staying cold. All right. I might have to try that. Yeah. I just works every time. Uh, you are, in my opinion, like the perfect reason why the transfer portal needs to exist. You go to to Alabama as this five star jumbo athlete out of Texas, which is just like the coolest thing ever to say. Uh, you step hmm. into that role as like an edge guy, and then your second year, you're really starting to figure things out. And then, boom, you get hurt. Dallas Turner steps in, and suddenly, like a guy one year younger than you is is kind of a star. But you go to Arkansas, get exactly the right opportunity, and then, boom, like first team All Conference, you know, All American, all that stuff. How grateful are you that the portal existed and also that the rules changed when they did so that you can do that as an undergrad? Yeah, you know, um, really, really thankful that, you know, I got an opportunity to play at Alabama and all the things I learned there, obviously. But, you know, um, um, you know, really everyone's taking advantage of the portal now. And it's like, why wouldn't I, you know, take advantage of that kind of open up my opportunities there? Um, so, you know, I ended up taking that and had a lot of success at Arkansas and was thankful for the uh, year I got to spend there. Be honest, how much did you dread did you dread going into Coach Saban's office and telling him that you were leaving? Yeah, um, you know, was it wasn't the, you know, uh most fun opportunity or most fun uh experience of my life, but you know, um had something that had to get done, but you know, uh love Coach Saban and everything he's done there. What's that conversation like just to, to, to be able to to kind of paint that picture for those of us on the outside? Because we can kind of connect the dots. You, if you understand the dynamics at play with your situation, it's like, yeah, obviously it makes sense that you're going to want to look for a new opportunity. You're a former five-star guy, of course. But what's that process like of going from, okay, I, I know I probably need the change of scenery to now actually having to pull the trigger and say, this is kind of my move here. How long does that process play out? Is it quicker than we realize? Or what was it like for you? Um, you know, it, it was a pretty quick turnaround. Turnaround. I mean, right, really, when the when the bus, you know, parked at, uh, um, you know, the facility really kind of went up, told all the coaches that, and um, really kind of talked about it for a little bit, but ended up thinking you're really the best uh, um, decision for me was, you know, like I said, open up those opportunities. But I mean, it, it was pretty quick. I mean, I had a few uh, schools in mind and just kind of, you know, reached out to them and, you know, um, you know, they were, you know, open to the idea. So I had a couple of visits and I mean, Man, it, it was a real quick turnaround. And before you knew it, I was in the, you know, the spring semester at Arkansas. I mean, five days, I think it was, like yeah. after you officially hit the portal. It's it's yeah. Arkansas, Oklahoma, and, and Texas. If you hadn't ended up at Arkansas, where would you have ended up? 
uh, I feel like I probably would have ended up at a uh, Texas. You just made a lot of Texas fans really upset hearing that, especially yeah. <laughs> with some of their defensive issues that they had last year. So, so what goes into that process, getting that 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 pitch from Sam Pittman? And we've had him on the podcast several times before, and and you 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 sense how genuine he is. And I've talked to Jaden Hazelwood about that as well. Similar spot that you were in of like former five star. You're looking for that opportunity. You're looking for somebody that's not going to give you BS. When you get that pitch from him, and I don't know how much of it is a pitch, but what's that like being able to hear from the other end? Here's how you're going to be used, and here's what we think you can do day one. Yeah, I mean, you know, just like you said, I mean, there wasn't any, um, you know, like really lies behind what he said. I mean, he said what he meant, and I mean, you you kind of felt that it was, it was a genuine conversation. And I mean, everything that he said would happen happened, and uh, he just provided me with opportunities, really kind of, um, you know, become the player who I feel like I am today. Where did you feel like it clicked? Because he talked about how you went from being this guy in spring who like, you know, you're figuring out kind of exactly your role in the defense. And it's a unique defense that Barry Odom likes to run. But then to see you start off the way that you did, you're like, man, like you you came out like you, you were shot out of a cannon early on. When did that moment kind of click for you where you understood all these things that went into the position or did that happen at Alabama and you were actually just kind of waiting to, to kind of get your feet wet a little bit in spring at Arkansas? Yeah, no, really, um, you know, went from outside linebacker, like you said, to, you know, put me at middle in uh, Arkansas and, um, um, you know, really just went through that spring. Like I said, it was a lot of learning uh, stuff I had to learn and kind of, you know, pick up on. I mean, really moving back onto your feet, had to get my feet back underneath me, be able to play in space again. But, um, you know, really when I hit fall camp, I mean, we had, you know, practice after practice. I feel like the more, um, you know, it went on, the better I got. I mean, really it was my first time, you know, seeing a counter, stuff like that from, you know, back there. So, I mean, you know, as as the season went on, I feel like it just kind of continually got better. be honest, when you transfer to a new place, especially when it's in the same division, you know you're going to be facing your former school. How much is there that desire leading up to that game, those few days leading up to be like, I want to win the breakup and I kind of want to show them what they missed out on. Yeah. You know, I, I was ready to get after it, you know, kind of, you know, um, you know, I felt like it was a game for me to really show who I was and, you know, um, just kind of, you know, really wish we, you know, got a win out of it, but, you know, came up short and, but it was, it was, it was fun to play those guys and see him again. I mean, there's all your buddies that you used to play with. So it was a uh, fun getting after it. For those, everybody's trying to figure out right now, uh, what's it like to take down Bryce Young? You had kind of a unique experience. He ends up getting hurt on that play where you're chasing him down. Yeah. Explain kind of what that process is like, because that's what everybody in the NFL is trying to figure out right now. Is like, how in the world do you kind of contain him and prevent him from doing what he does best? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, really quick, agile player. I mean, there's a lot of situations where you see, like, you know, probably should have got sacked, but, I did, but didn't because his athletic ability. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the trouble about a player like him is, that, I mean, you could get there. But I mean, it's it's another you know mission to really get him down. So, um, you know, really really great player. A lot of respect for him. And uh, yeah, take me through the anatomy of a sack for you because you know playing playing in the inside and doing the things that you were doing with Barry Odom's defense. You know, it, it's different in that you know it's not like you're exclusively lining up. I know you lined up mostly in the box, but occasionally you're getting those you know, those, those spots to be able to rush off the edge on the defensive line, you know, sometimes it's just going through the A gap. When is the point where you know that you have a quarterback dead to rights? Um, You know, I mean, as soon as you defeat the blocker in front of you, I mean, if, if I really see him in front of him, I feel like it's like a, you know, a dog getting a bone. I mean, you got to go get, get, get your, you know, get, get your money. So 
when you close your eyes and you picture that sack, what's what's the one that that kind of stands out for you? Because even that little, you know, the strip that you had against, I think it was, yeah, it was against Spencer Radler in that yeah. game. It was like the second game of the year where you're like, how in the world did you did you get a hand on that? Like, what's the one when when you close your eyes, you just picture that play? Um, I mean, you know, that that was a great one for sure. I mean, I love I love the one where you know I kind of uh, chased down the, the Missouri quarterback at the very end. There, I feel like I looked like I was shot out of a cannon. So, I mean, I really love that one. Yeah, but, you got a lot of plays like that, man. I'm not just pulling yeah. like you got you got a lot of plays like that. Um, more importantly, the lefty fist pump celebration. You're yeah. keeping that. In the, you're keeping that in the NFL, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, I, you don't need to get creative. Like all these guys, they want to come up with their own thing. And, you know, there's the Ray yeah. Lewis and all that stuff. But like I, the lefty celebration is so. Yeah, you got to keep it simple. I, like I, I think that if if you if you go with something like that, now you, you can't overuse it, obviously, with the lefty yeah, fist bump. Yeah. But like I, I, I think being able to utilize something like that and hopefully in the NFL, you're going to have a ton of opportunities to be able to do that. Um, I, I always love asking freak athletes like yourself about the other things that they could probably do really successfully. Um, maybe at this level, you, you get to play basically every skill position in high school, got a 37 inch vertical, or at least you do now. That's what we found out at the pro day. Uh, what's the thing that you would have liked to have kind of seen play out in college? Because I sort of love the idea of you maybe playing tight end a little bit, throwing down some windmill dunks or maybe like what's the wildest thing that you were kind of asked to do throughout the recruiting process? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, recruiting visit at Alabama, you know, was asked to dunk a few times. So, I mean, other than that, <laughs> um, nothing, nothing too crazy there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, a lot of opportunities to go and play tight end, but, you know, I really just love that defense side of the ball. So kind of stuck over there. Wait, is Pete Golding like, hey, Drew, we need to see how explosive you are. We need you to just throw down a few dunks. No, Saban has a basketball hoop at his house. You know what that's for. I mean, that's for recruiting right there. So, so he's <laughs> testing your explosion by by getting like the in-home visit. And he's like, Drew, and I've I've seen, you know, five-star athlete, like all those different things. Jumbo athlete, again, coolest thing in the world to be able to say. But I need you to throw down some dunks. When Saban asks you to dunk – what what are you pulling out? You can't just go up and throw down one hand. Are you going like tomahawk? Like what what's the play there? Oh yeah, two hands. I mean, you just got to get as high as you can to you know slam it down there. So, <laughs> does the scholarship offer come right after that? Is that how that works? Oh, I mean, you know, it's kind of the scholarship you know offer to lure you in there. So, I mean, just kind of you know that just seals the deal right there. So. <laughs> Um, I, I want to get you out of here with some, a little bit of rapid fire, just kind of five questions. First thing that comes to mind, does that work for you? All right, yes, sir. All right. You won't get any trouble. I promise. Um, okay. Actually you might with this first one, uh, Texas high school football overrated, underrated, or properly rated. Underrated. How is that possible? How can Texas <laughs> high school football be underrated? I mean, it's the best. It's the best football in in the nation. I mean, um, you know, got a lot of people talking about California, Georgia, Florida, but I mean, Texas is number one for sure. Okay, the second part of that: Friday Night Lights, the show, overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I mean, I, a lot of fans that say properly rated. I mean, I, I everyone I talk to, I mean, they love that movie. So. You you haven't seen Friday Night Lights, the show, have you? I haven't, I haven't seen the show. I've seen the movie, but <sighs> you got to you got to see the show. Got to see the All show. Right. That's see. put put that on the to do list. Um, <laughs> better question maybe for you as a Texas guy: Bucky's overrated, underrated, properly rated. Properly rated. I mean, everyone everyone loves that place. I mean, I go there once in a while. You know, get a little late night snack. I mean, it's just down the street, but I mean, everyone loves that place. So I'd say properly rated.
it's kind of much. It's a, it's a little, it's incredible, oh, I mean, but it's a little much. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got they sell grills there. I mean, what gas station you go buy a grill? I mean, so. <laughs> uh, if you could be workout partners with anyone for a day, living or dead, who would it be? Um, workout partners to anybody living or dead. Um, golly, everybody probably. always responds Arnold with this one, and I think there are better answers than Arnold. Oh. I mean, that would probably be a, a great, I mean, a great experience. I, I'd probably just say Arnold. Crap, I gave you the answer. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there. Um, Sam Fitman says to you after a victory, Drew, turn on that damn jukebox and play anything you want. Oh. What are you playing in the locker room after a big one? What am I playing? Um, uh has to be uh, um, probably, uh, um, uh, you know, I might sound dumb right here, but I'm pretty sure Johnny Cash was from Arkansas, so it might have to be a Johnny Cash song. That's that's an interesting route because like it's it's post game, so you don't have to worry about pumping up the fellas. Exactly, exactly. I mean, everyone's just kind of chilling, just kind of finding the best Johnny Cash song you can, and just let it go. Those those post game celebrations look incredible. I mean, absolutely. Great. Do you do you have like a memory of like one that that, that kind of stands out? Because I know you only get to spend one year there, so it's a little bit different, but. When when he when Coach Pittman comes into the locker room and and gets everybody fired up, like what's the one that that kind of was like, man, this one hit a little bit differently. Uh, I'd say that old Miss game. I mean, that was that was a pretty fun game to be a part of. And I mean, everyone was hyped during the whole the whole process of that game and after it. I mean, we just you know, it was a great time. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, last one for you. You went to the same high school as David Robinson, who has an all-time nickname, the Admiral, very appropriately so because he served in the Navy. Um, I know you didn't serve in the Navy like he did, but can we make your nickname Colonel Sanders? Oh, yeah, you sure. Is that – I mean, no, nobody – has anybody thought of that? Have you ever been called Colonel Sanders before? Because that seems really obvious. No, no, I, I, never Colonel Sanders. That's a new one, but you know, I, I take it so. – I mean, what's what are the other nicknames at play? Is it just like, is it Jumbo? Because that's that's what you should be going with. It's always been something like, you know, like Sandman or Drago has been one. Um, so I mean, yeah, Drago has been a popular one for sure. Even though he loses, spoiler alert. Um, yeah. That's, that, that's still pretty good. That's still pretty yeah. good. Uh, Drew, this has been great, man. Everyone get to your local Walmart, buy six-star whey protein, help fight hunger. Uh, best of luck with everything in the draft, man. Yeah, sir, appreciate you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, we're talking run-ins with the law. This was prompted from a certain former Georgia quarterback having a certain video of a certain dash cam Mm -hmm. uh, it was body cam, body cam, not dash cam. My bad. It was all the dash cam was what got the quote. Oh yeah. The dash cam was what got the quote. Uh, if you haven't seen the Stetson Bennett video of his arrest. Um, yeah. Watch it. Don't watch it. Don't care. Um, but it prompted this discussion. I don't think we need to break it down a whole lot here. I don't really want to talk about my takeaways unless you had something that you've just been wanting to get off of your chest with that. I mean, not really. I just, I've never seen someone have no strategy talking to the police. Usually they're like, Hey, yeah. here's, here's who I like. Either they're like, I'm the Georgia quarterback. Get off me. You're ruining my life. Or they're like, oh, I'm sorry, bro. Or whatever. But he was just like, all right, I, wherever we're going. Like he made no effort to help his case whatsoever. And the funny thing about that is like, I kind of wanted to see more out of him as dumb as that is. Like, I, it's like, bro, like 
you know that like if this happens it's bad like listen if you gotta cry a little bit that's pocket awareness all right you gotta get out of that situation <laughs> the the talking your way out of a situation like that the um the urban meyer the mike didka getting pulled over don't you know who i am right uh my dad used to just hate that when somebody said that and it, and it came out that somebody would say that like an athlete or something like that that person was dead to my dad like <laughs> forever even with ditka who my dad used to bear a very weird resemblance to um that might just be a generational thing and just think everybody from chicago at that time kind of looks a little bit like <laughs> ditka or they just accidentally tried to look like ditka um but yeah that that i'm surprised he didn't play that card you're, you're exactly right that was like my only takeaway was like i i actually was surprised that he didn't lay it on a little bit more you sense kind of what he's talking about with you know, you we're talking about like his life being ruined or, or whatever, like 20 years of hard work or we don't need to break it. You know what? Never mind. Forget that. I said that, he we said don't that by himself down. though, but let me tell you a couple of fun stories. Uh, so my mom, this won't surprise you. I've already told my run into the law stories on here. I'm not going to re rehash all that, but got a couple ones related to the, do you know who I am thing? One of my mom's favorite activities is getting out of tickets. Um, <laughs> so she didn't get a lot of tickets. Like I've always heard her do it a couple of times, but she, the glee that she has when she gets out of tickets, she had one. This is one of my favorite, my mom's stories. She got pulled over by a dude, you know, his name was Thibodeau or Piku or Boudreaux or something. Guy pulled her over in Louisiana. This is like 20 years ago. She's like, looks at his little name badge. I think I know your daddy. What's his name? Man says, oh, you know, Mike Piku. Mike Piku, yeah, from uh, Terrebonne Parish. Yeah, 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 we did, 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 did that. Oh, really? You know Mike Piku? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, get out of it. Okay, well, you know, have a nice day, ma'am. Get out of that. I don't know anybody named Mike Piku. Wait, she uh. just pulled out She just pulled out that she knew what parish she went to? It was just, That was the parish they were in. Oh. So she's just like finessed. I was like, yeah, I know your daddy. Like, da -da 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 -da. like he's like, okay, no worries. He, you know, he'd be really disappointed if he knew you were giving me a ticket right now. Boom, boom. And then one time we were going to, she might kill me for telling the story, but it's funny. One time we were going to my grandparents' house and she made, she made up that uh, her mom, my grandma, was in like a life-threatening condition to get out of a ticket because the cop pulled over was a jerk. We should not have gotten pulled. It was like for like a merge in a construction zone that was not clearly like, and she was just like, you know, I'm just trying to get to my family. My mom's in the hospital. Da, 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 da. And the cop's like, what, 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 slow down, man. I'm like, okay, you're good. And she got out of there. And there was just silence. And she's like, you know, he really shouldn't have pulled me up there. <laughs> there, there are certain times in which talking yourself out of a ticket, talking your way out of a ticket is justified. It's 100% mm -hmm. justified. If you're not a frequent offender, if you feel like it's a little bit ticky tacky, like, I, I have no problem with, with anybody doing that. I remember my, like my mom driving my brother home and like getting pulled over uh, because like my brother like was, was like going to be sick. He was like, you know, like fourth grade or fifth grade or something like that. And the cop pulls her over. He's like, yeah, I got like a sick kid in the back seat. And he was like, it was right. a perfectly justified thing. And so that like, you can talk your way out of it with that. My run-ins with the law have been limited, but I have talked my way out of a speeding ticket before. And it's, exactly what you would expect i'm a beta i'm rolling over i'm letting the cop you know scratch my belly officer officer i apologize i was going too fast like said that before he could even get a word in boom here's your warning to slow down easy that that doesn't work for everybody but if you're going 12 13 over and they they get the impression 
that you knew what you're doing. And if you don't play dumb, what I think people do too much is they pretend like the, like they, 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 they're in this spot and they don't know that the officer knows that they did something wrong. They're right. like, what was I, was I doing something wrong officer? Something like that, which I get it. You don't want to like, people think I don't want to admit guilt. I'm going to wait for right. them to tell me totally understand. But I think there's something to be said for just saying, officer, I apologize. Was going too fast. Didn't see the speed limit sign or something like that. Or, you know, I'll slow down. I'll be better next time. And then just leave it at that and then see what they do. I love the cultural differences here between like my mom saying, I know your daddy in Terrebonne Parish and you just being <laughs> super Midwestern nice. You'd be like, sir, I don't want to waste your time. I know that I was going fast. All right, let's just write me up. Get me out of here. Oh, you don't want to do that? All right. Thank you. Have a blessed day, sir. <laughs> Your Midwest invitation. You hate the accent. I so hate much. it. And look, I love Josh Need. That's my uh, that's my guy. I'll bang the drum for Josh Need SEC shorts all day. His Midwest invitation is just the most stereotypical, laid on thick. Like wow, oh, you on. hate it when people have a cartoonized uh, accent of your people, huh? Must They're be tough. Yeah. Welcome to the Coach O era for me. You're huh? right. You're right. hundred <laughs> percent. But he's he's like doing a Canadian accent for us. Josh is so great at everything he does. Like, like I said, but when he does the make fun of the big 10 stuff and the accent that he puts on, it's Canadian. It's not Midwest. Mm-hmm. There, it, there is a, a stark difference there. There's the Bob Swarovski, Chicago bears. Super the accent that my, yeah. my, that my dad probably had for a little bit. The accent that one of my good friends shout out, Anthony Glorioso, you hear him open his mouth and you're like, I know where you're from. And mm-hmm. then there's, the people imitating it that go way, way too far. And yes, everybody has people that butcher their accents and we all just have to deal with it. That's the melting pot. That is the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we're going to do this differently. When we do figure it out, when we do bold and brass. We're usually reading, you know, somebody's name, as I always say at the end of every podcast or the Facebook group, hear your name right on air, right on air with figuring out bold and brass because of the sensitive nature of what we're talking about here, because the Saturday Down South podcast is a private Facebook group, thought we'd keep this anonymous. We don't want to get anybody in trouble. We, we're just mm-hmm. here for the content. That's what we're here to do. So I've got one. Let's let's start with this one. Um, so again, we're keeping we're keeping these anonymous. This first one. Um, okay, so we're going way back. We're going to 2015. 2015, I got kicked out of, I got kicked out at the gates of the 2015 Bama Georgia game. Game many will remember very well. Uh, I tried to sneak a floppy flask in through the crotch of my pants. It comes unsituated as we're walking in. The cop sees me trying to get back in place and stops me. He asks me what I have there and say nothing. He then pats me down and tells me he feels something. I then had the bright idea to respond saying, that's my male genitalia. He says, that doesn't feel like a, you know what to me. And in my drunken wisdom, I respond with, well, I don't know how many male genitalia you felt officer, but that's my male genitalia. He then proceeded to watch me struggle with my wristband for two minutes, yanked me by the collar and told me I was banned from the stadium. That's a tough pill to swallow in every single way. There's not one element of that story that's not emasculating. 
because I mean, he got at least he got the cool story to be like, all right, bro. And like, I mean, maybe if he was more, maybe if he took your approach, he would have been fine. But he was like, oh, you be you be grabbing stuff. All right, yeah, you the you the inspector. My bad. <laughs> you you can't come back like that to an officer once you do that, and that's I don't think that's the decision that's made sober. That's like mm-hmm. the type of thing. You could say something on Twitter or on social media, but you wouldn't actually say that to, to somebody's face. You wouldn't actually say that to an officer's face if you were not under the influence. Mm-hmm. But to be like, oh, oh, how many of you know what have you felt before? Right. Once that comes out of your mouth, there's there's no going back from that. You're toast. It's the first thing you do to slip up, you're you're in trouble. Um sneaking flasks through stadiums which has become a a bit of a dying art not quite as dying as the mid-range jumper but um dying because of the alcohol you know alcohol being allowed in college football stadiums now more and more programs are realizing oh you can actually make money and do this um does anybody have a perfect system for that for not getting caught because it seems like there are a lot of people who have that fully down to a science but i always wonder how do you not get in a spot like that where it's you know being shuffled around in an area that you know not a lot of you don't want things shuffling around in that area let's just say that <laughs> well they keep that area pretty well locked out especially when you're when you're under the influence yeah no i i think everyone has a little bit of a system um it is helpful to be with um friends of the opposite sex because officers feel a little bit more odd about like searching them up like that you know what i'm saying i i've never smuggled anything when i've usually gone with a group and kind of had the expert in the group do it and so yeah i, I think i'm not going to give away any methods on that but i i think it's you know everyone has and that's the cool thing about the um the stuff like the the alcohol sales in the stadiums now is it's like well now we all feel ridiculous because we can just go get a beer <laughs> yeah if, if you're that desperate to keep your buzz going like all right so you're gonna drink in the parking lot and then you know i get it you don't want to pay for alcohol in the stadium so there's a, a little bit of that but it's a process like it's really hard to get somewhere like alcoholically at a stadium because you can only have a couple of them they're open the line's long they're expensive like you i get it but to keep it going you can get one or two and be fine to get popped like that, though, you have to be doing exactly what this person described, which yeah. is kind of shuffling things around. If you just go in there confident and there's nothing moving around, that's how people get away with it. I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, I've had the pat down before going into like Country Thunder back in the day. And you're like, you are getting <laughs> in there, man. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good. I pr- I'll, I'll, t- I'll let you know. I'm a beta. I'm too scared to pull this off. <laughs> you're not getting away. <laughs> <laughs> scratch my belly <laughs> officer you're, you're not getting what you think you're gonna get go spend that time on other people um okay let's go to this one here so for my senior prank we dug out a 10 by 10 x in our bus loop and filled it with over a thousand pounds of cement mm. keep in mind i graduated in 2010 a dump truck came to get the trash. Next thing you know, we see a spotlight. So we all took off running into the woods. The cop obviously saw us and parked at the edge of the woods and was yelling for us to come out. Obviously, we didn't. And the only reason we got caught was because two people parked their cars in the bus loop and the cops ran their tags. The school principal pretty much guilt tripped us into telling ourselves, uh, telling out ourselves by saying that um, those two individuals wouldn't walk at graduation. The only thing that came from it was community service. Mm-hmm. What's the upside in that prank? A thousand pounds of cement sounds like a lot of work. 
for not that much gratification. That's not the senior prank of the, you know, four pegs numbering them and then, you know, <laughs> only releasing three and then having like one, two, four or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's at least kind of fun because you see people squirm. I'm missing something here. A thousand pounds of cement. I mean, I like that's tough to acquire. They're going to know somebody did. That. I don't see. This is where the beta in me is really coming out because I think of all these things too, too quickly. And I don't have that just like that, that reckless mindset because a thousand pounds of cement, maybe I'm just overthinking this. That seems like a really difficult thing for anybody to get away with. Like to have the time to do that and to not have somebody come and be like, you can't be doing that. That's illegal. I, I don't know. Somebody's going to correct me here. Dumping a thousand pounds of cement can't be quick. Yeah. I mean, like, and you know, I can, I, we're aligned here that, you know, my Slytherin brain is like, this isn't worth the juice is not worth the squeeze. I, I love a good prank. I love doing this type of stuff. I mean, if you had made like a cast of some male genitalia and, and turn that into concrete, I would love that. Like that would be <laughs> worth it to me. The X I'm like, Oh great. There's an X on the floor now. Um, Our senior prank was actually perfect. It was the best senior prank I've ever heard of. We had huge classes over high school. We were all given ping pong balls graduation and we went up to shake the dean's hand handed him a ping pong ball and as graduation went on he was having to find places to put these ping pong balls that's it's so great it's so great because like what are you gonna do it's a ping pong ball so like the first couple he's like okay ping pong ball like put him in his pocket put him in his pocket he got past like 10 or 20 he realized they were not gonna stop coming and we were all like unified so we couldn't get all of us so he was just like having little conversations with people up to the side handing them ping pong balls coming back and like at some point he was just like yo all right no more all right we get it it's funny but please i have 300 ping pong balls and they can't do they, you can't be threatened in the way that this person was threatened by saying you won't walk. You're right. already walking. You're walking. Yeah. You're good, man. And you could like, even like put a little message on there. But it's a special thank you to you, man. Why don't you want that? Like it was yeah. the perfect senior prank. That is really good. That is just subtle enough where you're not going to get in trouble for giving somebody a ping pong ball. That's yeah. great, man. Oh, that's, that's br- so how many, how many did he end up having? Do you think like 30? Like, a lot. Like he, like I said, there were like some pitchers mound conferences with the teachers and we had a big bug balls. And he was cool. Like he was really funny. So he was like laughing. But then at a point he was just like, guys, there are too many of y'all. Like we got to get this going. Come on, bro. It was more of like a, we got to get this going than it was like an anchor. You can brace yourself for a lot of things when you're in that spot as a, as a principal, or if you're like Roger Goodell on the stage of the NFL draft, you're shaking somebody's hand. Maybe they're going to do some, you know, some sort of like weird sign. Maybe they're going to lift up their gown or something mm-hmm. like that, or do something weird. You can't prepare for dozens of seniors handing you bing pong balls. You just can't. You would need somebody like if if that were me in that spot, I'm the principal. And of course, I would panic in this moment and do exactly <laughs> what you did and try and find new pockets. But I'd be like, I'm just gonna toss this to somebody. You put this aside. Let's figure this out right now. Mm-hmm. Hold on a sec. If you're gonna hand me a ping pong ball, I'm just gonna throw it right over here. Somebody right. catch it. We get this thing moving. I love that. That's great, man. Dang, that's really good. Let's go to this one. All right. Uh, when I was young, my dad had a run-in with law because a church deacon decided to rob a bank while my dad was in it and pointed a gun at him and told him he'd kill him during the robbery. The guy then stole like three cars and got shot by the police. My brother eventually ended up rooming with the guy's son in college. No. 
Oh, we speaking. No, if I know your son exists and I'm near him, we're speaking, let alone rooming with the dude. See, the apparently very passive people. If you rob my dad like that, mm-mm. or try to keep oh, these sorry. anonymous. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Try sorry, to keep sorry, these sorry, anonymous. Sorry. Uh, well, yeah, we'll tell Dan. My bad. Yeah. Um, look, if you're in that spot, well, I don't even know if that could get back to him. But if you meet a, a somebody like who, who committed a crime against your family or something like that, and like you're you're meeting somebody that's related, how quickly do you know? And what's the first thing you say to them? How do you how do you approach that if you're if you're in that position where you're like, I should have hate in my heart for this person, right? Because this is terrifying. Do you bring it up? Like, I do you hold that against somebody? I just don't know. I would feel so awkward about that because it's not like they're they're in a class of yours, right? Right. They're your roommate. How do you not accidentally bring that up at some point, even if you try and avoid that? That is no, we're not getting through a week. I'm serious. Cause if that's your dad, bro, like that's the standard bear for the family. In my personal, if you're around my stuff and one if your dad has already proven that he can do that to my dad, mm-mm. mm-mm. <laughs> oh, son of it, man. Oh, yikes. That is that's terrifying. Let's end with this one. This is this is a little bit longer, but but stay with me on this. Uh, the day is October 30th, 2021. Georgia fans know it well. The day that Georgia beat the Gators and then the Braves beat the Astros in game four of what ended up being a World Series win. Uh, we hung out at the Battery for the Georgia game and went into the game to watch the World Series. Uh, we spent more for our parking pass than the tickets to park at the, the Red Deck, which is under the apartments at the Battery. So we didn't have a long walk to the car after the game. Uh, after the game, we tried to leave and Cobb County PD was blocking the exit and refused to let anyone through, even if we parked right there, strike one. We then had to walk to find another exit that was further, but still not far. Cobb County PD blocked that one too, strike two. We ended up leaving from the home plate gate furthest from where we parked, walked down a big hill up a big hill and uh, on the walk up a Cobb County police officer decided he needed to stop foot traffic crossing a crosswalk while people were in the middle. He picked out the drunkest guy, not me and manhandled him from 90% of the way across to the other side. Strike three. I being almost as drunk as this guy started yelling F the police. And this is why no one likes you. And the bullying you took in high school must have been bad for you to be this much of a you-know-what. People started taking out their phones thinking I was about to fight a cop and got arrested while this person's wife uh, dragged me back to the sidewalk. Nothing ended up happening, but I was very close to joining my family and no longer being the only one without a record. <clears throat> Lots to dissect there. What's the good that's going to come from just saying something to a cop that isn't total beta stuff? So, okay. I was thinking about this earlier and then I saw this story and I thought I'd bring it up here. So there are two routes you can take with the police, but you need to decide immediately when you open your mouth. Um, In high school, all of my friends were black. I kind of became the designated cop talker because the cops in that area were pretty racist. 
And so I ended up, I was usually the person driving. They would still try to interrogate my friends because they were trying to get something out of us. And they realized that I was really good at talking to the police. So I'd be driving a car. I used to get pulled over for driving at 10 PM in Hoover, Alabama, driving, not driving drunk, not driving, just driving. Cause they'd be like, what's open right now, son. You're just up to some mischief. They would pull us over go start talking to my friends who you know what i'm saying they would start harassing them and then my friends would react and so you have two options when you're talking to the police you can be kind of not mean but like stern and kind of do make it clear to them that it would be more of a hassle to bother you than it would be to leave you alone it's like an animal defending itself in the wild it's like if you if you're trying to scare me if you're trying to intimidate me it's not going to work there's gonna be a lot of paperwork for you if you keep treating me this way basically it's not that, like that is the great time to not be a beta you yeah. shouldn't be a beta in that when you you're like you're getting pulled over for nothing. Right. And you know it and you're th- you can't just be like, "Oh, I apologize, officer. I apologize." That is the scenario in which you you legitimately ask like, but there's a way that you can be polite about it. It's like, "Oh, what was, what was I doing wrong?" because I've gotten pulled over in those settings too where I'm like, "I know, and I used to drive back really late from Nebraska and I would get pulled over and be like, "Oh, your plate is a month expired or something." I'm like, "So, so you just wanted to see that I was drunk." That, right. That's what you wanted to see. I'm the only car on the road. I understand what you're doing here. I'm not. I'll get new plates. Let's let's move on. But if I'm snippy in those moments, mm-hmm. it can come back to bite me. But I also don't need to be a beta in that sense. If I know that I'm doing nothing wrong. It's one thing if you know you're you're speeding or something like that. But if you know that you're doing nothing wrong, they're just pulling you over for the hell of it. Kind of stand your ground on that one. Yeah. And like, and that's the thing too, especially like these rural areas. I know I've literally seen this firsthand. Like I'm not trying to general, I've literally have seen it firsthand. That's why I kind of like live in a city now because these, these rural areas where these cops are bored and they're just trying to like do something or they have a quota or something. And they see you out late at night after a game and they're just like, maybe it's not even their job. Maybe they're just bored. And they're just like, let me just like run this guy's plates and see what's up. Just pull them over and be like, Hey, it's Nebraska. It's 1am. You're probably up to no good. And like, and what I was saying, what I was going to say is like, I understand like, unfortunately the data has shown for me that there is an element of you. If you look a certain way, you get treated a certain way. And and just that's everything in life. If you're a woman, the tactics that you have to talk to the police are just different. It's just the way it is. And so I know that a, a black person could not do what I'm describing. They could not get kind of chesty with a cop and be like, Hey, you know, why are you talking to me? This is not worth your time. Da, 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 da. Um, but from my standpoint, I was always trying to be like, like I said, we're not doing anything wrong. Um, please stop harassing my friends. They're not doing anything wrong. And if they are, they're not operating this vehicle. So it really does not functionally matter to the the status of this vehicle in our conversation. You really, why, why are you doing this? And so, yeah, that, that's the thing is like, you got to know exactly. Cause there, there's two kinds of cops that can, that, that can work on. Number one is, you know, old boss hog, who's just trying to get a rise out of you. And then that's when you kind of become like the horn frog and you're just like, not worth your time, buddy. It's going to be annoying. It's I'm not. really annoying. I'm going to give you paperwork. And then the other one is like the cop who, kind of like our our friend here says, isn't really about that life, like is a little hesitant and, and doesn't really know how to have that long, like to, like the the bass in the voice. And like some, we had a cop come over here the other day, like back when I was with Brittany because her car got gone through and it was like, okay, like I was talking to this guy and he like just couldn't handle the situation. Like he was just really timid. And I was like, bro, what are we doing? Like you found a report. What are we doing? Like, what is your strategy to get us out of this situation? And that guy eventually was just like, okay, I got you. Here's my plan of action. I was like, thank you. Let's work through that together. You know, and it was, it wasn't mean, but it was like, what are you doing? You're just, you're questioning me. And I wasn't even involved. Like, why are we doing this? Like, how are you going to prevent this? We had property theft. Like, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. You don't want to be the person that's pushing them along too much. Right. But there is a certain point where you're like, let's not waste each other's time. Yes. And if they're enjoying it too, it's like, bro, come on, man. Like been in situations like that before where you're just like, this is, 
this isn't helping anyone. Let's let's get what we need. Right. Or, you know, warning, whatever the case may be. You don't have to be full Ben Wyatt in front of <laughs> cops. <laughs> Shout out to the boys in blue. <laughs> ben Wyatt then, with the cop is so good in Parks and Rec. And the caveat too is like there are very much good cops. Like I'm not just strictly anti-cop. It's a situation by situation. You know, I've had cops pull me over and be like, hey, bro, your taillights out, your, your tag expired. Let's get that figured out. Like I'm gonna put like a warning. Like there have definitely been good cops. We're talking specifically about like the situation our friend is talking about where they're yes. like, you're they're already being really difficult. And you're like, bro, like you're just trying to get something out of me. And it's, it's gonna be annoying. Like don't do that. Just be cool. I'll be cool. Let's be cool. Moral of the story. Just uh, even if you learn nothing from us or from, from the Stetson video, just be cool. Just be cool, man. Like everything's going to be okay. It's going to pick her okay. out and stay with it. If you open up beta, you can't turn up halfway through. If you open up, turn up, you can't go beta halfway through. Cause then they've got you right where they want you. And you're scared. Just be mostly beta. That's, that's, yeah. that's the way I say it. Um, lad of the week. I have one that has been talked about a lot, but I'm going to go to, I'm going to go Dan Hurley and Adama Sonogo. Yukon mm-hmm. having itself a week, obviously winning the national championship. Uh, seeing if you don't know, like the Sonogo story, like listen, he's got his family back in like Mali. He's got four different languages that he knows was late to playing basketball, like really cool. Like to see the way that he has developed, he was just an absolute load in that national championship. And Dan Hurley, I always got a soft spot for the little brothers, man. I always got a soft spot for the little brothers who had to watch their big brothers doing awesome, unbelievable things like Dan Hurley had to do with watching Bobby become a star at Duke and, you know, seeing him kind of get to celebrate and do it that way. I find myself rooting for Dan Hurley. I have no affiliation for UConn like whatsoever, but I always root for the little brother. I always gravitate towards them. Yeah, no, it's been a super cool story. I mean, UConn is so hard to place as a program because they've just been so elite over the course of our lives. And Brazil had a really good segment about just growing up with UConn and them not being any good. And he said it's like Mississippi State just reeled off five, you know, SEC West titles. It's like, it's so cool to see what they've done. Um, For me, it's going to be Mike Brown, who is the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Um, Mike Brown has had a really interesting career. He was LeBron's coach, um, not exactly like when he came to the league, but for the bulk of it. And he was kind of seen as the poster child for like LeBron's winning with these bumps. He was seen with, oh, this coach won coach of the year. And then LeBron left and he got fired. And like this guy clearly is just a sick of a circumstantial coach. He's not very good. Right. And, you know, he goes to makes a couple of uh, unfortunate career decisions. Right. Leaves the Cavaliers uh, ends up, you know, he's on the Lakers. Like kind of when they start falling apart with like the Kobe stuff. Uh, which again, you know, you don't pass up the Lakers job, right? But it didn't work out for him. He only lasted a year and some change. And he becomes like the Warriors head coach. And then, you know, the vibe is, oh, of course, this guy just can ride this in the sunset. You know, he got a bag from LeBron. Now he's just going to be with the Warriors. He's just but he was out. like filling in for Steve Kerr, right? Yes, he filled, exactly. He filled up. in for Steve Kerr. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Literally, like, you know, he he got called. He had to be a head coach again. Uh, and then, you know, he took over. Um, took over the Sacramento Kings, uh, ended the longest playoff drought in North American sports. Um, I, I just, as even as a Pelicans fan, I love the vibe the Kings have. I've always had a soft spot for the Kings. I loved Boogie Cousins when he was in college, so I, I watched a lot of their games. Um, De'Aaron Fox was from New Orleans. I don't know if you knew that, but there's, there's a lot of really cool guys. Sabonis I've always loved. Um, so they're a team, Harry B., Harrison Barnes. And so point being, like, I, they're just a really wholesome feel-good story because, you know, they've been so healthy. They finally got some luck this year, but specifically for Mike Brown, man. I mean, he's a guy who's completely turned around his career. He's done something that George Carl couldn't do. He's seen as, you know, a Hall of Fame level coach. He's, you know, all these coaches have come through Sacramento, chewed, it up, chewed them up and spat, spat them out. And, you know, they made this win now move. Everybody was laughing at him for getting some bonus. Oh, what's this big, you know, center going to do? Um, And, yeah, they, you know, they did like the beam thing. That's super cool. So to pull this team, to have so many haters and so many people that were sure of what you were and then reinvent yourself and say, you know what? I got a little bit left. I got I got, got some more in me. Maybe I am a good coach. Maybe 
maybe, you know, uh, to, to, to harbor that for 10 plus years of everyone thinking or lots of people thinking that you were a fraud and that you won those games, but they weren't because of you. And then you get on this team that's so selfless, shares the ball, plays the right way. And you know, that's a lot because of you and your coaching and you don't have that one star to lean, lean on, but they have to play together no matter what happens in the postseason. Uh, you know, they obviously don't have like a top 10 player or anything. So I don't expect them to like win the West or anything, but just super duper cool how he's re reborn his career. They're like the Oregon state of, uh, of the NBA. Like, haven't been good in two decades. They only had like that one real little blip, Chad Ochocinco, TJ Hushmanzada, like that, mm-hmm. you know, that little, little blip. And then outside of that, you're kind of like, oh yeah, it's been two decades of, and then all of a sudden, like Pat, this past year and what Oregon's yep. doing with Jonathan Smith, who's one of the most underrated coaches in college football. And then Sacramento's like, it's the program that, that you just kind of have left for dead. And you're like, They'll never figure it out. And now they're finally at a place where they're doing some things. Sorry, I'm in full comp mode after after the <laughs> SEC teams as country artists, which totally didn't get taken out of context by anybody on social media. And everybody <laughs> was totally understanding of that. And nobody called it the worst list that they've ever seen. Um, but yes, shout out to, to Mike Brown, somebody that has had to deal with the LeBron aftermath way too much throughout the course of his career. Um, if you have not leave us a five-star review, that'd be an, an awesome thing for you to do today. You want to do it a good deed? Leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends to subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at sat down South, subscribe to our basketball newsletter. You can do that at futuregrit.com. And like I said earlier, join the Facebook group here in red on the other figuring out or golden brush. Thanks guys. Talk soon.